Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Marcin Dros. Dros. <laughs> yeah, I literally it. just <laughs> talked about this beforehand. <laughs> uh, Dros. 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 Oh, we- we, we literally just, like, I'm going to go over how to say this, and I still yeah. butchered it. I am terrible. I'm, like, as bad as Don Cherry for, like, just mm. butchering names. But anyway, maybe that's not a good comparison right now. But anyway, um, welcome to the show, uh, Marcin. Um, let's go over, let's tell people who you are, um, your story, and then we'll get into the, the meat and potatoes that we're doing today. Sure. Happy. Happy to do so, Glenn. Um, really happy to be here. Appreciate, obviously, the opportunity. Uh, you know, the, the last name, as you can tell, is definitely Eastern European, Polish, actually. And, uh, you know, really quick uh, background on me. Uh, born in communist Poland, uh, escaped, uh, you know, snuck out of the country, uh, you know, came to Canada. We were, we were lucky, enough, lucky enough to get into Canada when I was six. And it was it was a different lifestyle. You know, we grew up in a, you know, what's now a nice area in Toronto wasn't when I was living there in Roncesvalles. It was really, really kind of grimy. And, uh, you know, we lived in a home with a few other families just when we first landed and, you know, saw my dad getting up four in the morning, you know, delivering newspapers, master mechanic, looking for like just a different background. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, you grow up different. Uh, you appreciate, I remember the first time I got a pair of Nikes, I, I refused to wear them out of the house. I literally wore them in the house and I slept with them on the nightstand because it was just, you know, you just, you didn't have that stuff. Right. So, uh, anyway, grew, grew up, you know, humble, um, obviously lots of love in the family, but, uh, realized pretty quickly that, you know, just working, uh, you know, getting into the nine to five world was going to, you know, it was just, it was going to be tough. And I didn't want to, I didn't just want to, you know, find, find a job. So started reading a lot of books, uh, early on thought I'd become a lawyer, went to school, uh, you know, figured out that the, the whole corporate life, we were talking about this, the whole, you know, downtown thing and yeah. decided that wasn't for me, um, was fortunate enough to start reading, you know, rich dad, poor dad, real estate books. And, you know, the thing was when I was reading those books, there were no $50,000 houses in Toronto. And this is even back in, you know, the early 2000s. So, yeah. you know, one thing led to another, uh, started flipping houses, bought my first house when I was 21, uh, sold it, made good money. Uh, got recruited by a private equity firm and then literally where, where else were you doing the first projects oakville okay, actually okay. oakville ontario yeah okay. i bought my first house in oakville so i uh it was funny i i got i was trying to get into real estate when i was a teenager but nobody would talk to me like nobody realtors mortgage brokers everybody was like just you know go back to school kind of you know oh, yeah. that's cute kid go away right <laughs> so what i did is i devised a plan to get into the real estate industry by volunteering to work for free for realtors. So I would literally pick up their for sale signs, drop them off, spray paint them, scrape the rust off, repaint them white, like anything just to be in the room when they talked about things, right? Just to get some exposure. So literally that's what I did when I was 19. I banged up my car because those for sale signs were freaking huge and they didn't fit in my little golf, you know, GTI back then. So yeah, yeah. the roof was scraped to crap and, but I didn't care. I wanted to just get in the game, right? And um, yeah, th those realtors eventually took some pity on me and uh, kind of helped me figure out how to buy my first property when I was 21. I uh, bought it with my best friend. We did some renos. Uh, we figured out pretty quickly what, uh, what people will pay for on renos and what they won't pay for on renos. <laughs> uh, that's another story. I'm sure okay. you, you know a fair <laughs> bit of that. But uh, yeah, fixed it, rented it out. Then we sold it, uh, made a bunch of money. 
and uh, kept looking kind of like London, Welland, Thorold, those kind of areas. And uh, I was lucky through a contact, I got recruited by a private equity firm, moved out west, and then just literally was springboarded into multifamily, commercial, land assembly. We were doing syndications. We were literally, I went from, hey, this kid that bought a few little houses to, okay, so we're buying this 300 unit building. We need this much equity, this much debt. Here are the legal documents, go figure it out. And I'm just sitting there going, okay, Google, like, what does this word mean? Because <laughs> you're, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're just, you're drinking from, you're literally drinking from a fire hose. And I did that for a bunch of years you know, secured tens of millions of dollars in equity for various different projects, yeah. uh, then broke out my own, started doing commercial, multifamily, and, you know, fast forward today, I've secured a couple hundred million dollars in, in, in equity and, and in some cases debt for a variety of different real estate and other types of businesses. And, you know, today just really focused on, you know, the, the real estate industry and focused on showing people how to do that. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Interesting. Well, we wanted to put this topic all towards like raising money and stuff, but you just brought one thing that just popped in my head, debt and equity. Um, do you find it's easier to use debt versus equity or equity easier than debt? Is there any difference in difficulty, a different marketing towards doing it or a different conversation? Well, you know, as, as, as I, I know, you know, Glenn, the private debt and, and conventional debt are two different conversations, yes. right? Yes. And, you know, when I talk about raising debt, I don't talk about conventional debt. I talk about either private syndications, private, you know, short-term, long-term debt, or when I talk about equity, I talk about equity in the traditional sense. Now, when it comes to raising either one of those, they both come with a very high degree of uh, difficulty if you don't know what you're doing. So there's a skill set for both. And it's more of a function of what you're trying to do with the project. I mean, you know, my favorite saying has always been cows don't pay rent. And if you buy land, you know, you can't use debt with you. Debt and dirt don't work. Right. Right. <laughs> right? So if you're doing cash flow, trying to do debt versus equity is, you know, might make more sense. If you're trying to do something development-based, good luck getting debt if there's no cash flow. Yeah, there are lenders that will do that, but it's you're you're gonna pay for it. <laughs> well, and 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 those lenders, from my experience, are typically guys that are comfortable stepping in to take over that asset. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, or they build huge reserves. And and yeah, you can do it, but philosophically, for me, debt and dirt just. It's not my thing. I know there's people that have done do, done it well. Uh, I, yeah. Well, even for me to have that conversation with people to say, look, I, uh, there's no cash flow. I need to borrow a lot of money, but they're like, you're not going to get paid until there's a building on it. It's a, mm -hmm. a tough conversation that they, they, you know, just to raise that money for some land is, is a difficult one. Um, let's go into some, some strategies for raising some money. Sorry, I, I got a little off track there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the fun, the fun part about talking about capital raising is that you can talk about deals literally until the cows come home because there's so many different ways to structure it. And look, Glenn, whether people are looking for private debt or private equity, the fundamentals to actually getting the capital into the door are the same. And what I find a lot of people struggle with is, first of all, realizing that raising money is not a race, it's a marathon. And if you think that you're going to be able to go out there day one and meet somebody, shake hands, and then day two, send them a deal, and day three, they cut you a check. For anybody who's raised any amount of money, you know that's not how it works. 
that they may literally meet you and take three days, three months, or three years <laughs> before they actually become, you know, an investor. And that that's the truth. That's just how it works. Because most people, if you have a hundred people that are interested in investing at some point, maybe only two or three of them at that exact moment are looking to cut a check. And maybe one out of those three actually fits the criteria for your deal. So fundraising is an incredibly complicated process. And that's why it's a marathon. You can't just say, oh, I need money next week. Where do I find it? You always need to dig your well before you're thirsty. And you have to have, it's all about having the systems and the communications to foster that relationship over a long period of time. Because whether it's social media, Facebook, whether it's just casual conversations, meetings, you never know who's listening and who's paying attention because they, you may not even know that they're looking to do something until the week before. How many times, you know, Glenn, have you had someone call you and say, hey, so I'm inheriting this money next month. What are you doing? And then you're just like, I had no idea you even had money. Like, I, you know, it, it, it happens more often happen. than we think, yep. right? And they typically think of people that they trust as the first contacts. So the point is to, to create that environment for yourself. Now, when you have an actual deal that's live, I have a, a process that I teach my students called the EASY system. And EASY stands for exclusivity, abundance, scarcity, and allocation. And, and what that, your allocation, pardon me, and what that essentially means is assuming that you've built rapport and you have a network of people to talk to and you're growing your, you, you know, you're growing your database, your influence, when you have an opportunity, I mean, in your mind as a real estate investor, you've already thought through where it fits and why it makes sense and all the different pieces, but then you have to think to yourself, okay, how do you communicate that and get commitments quickly so you can marshal the resources you need to buy that asset, right? And then the first part of that is the exclusivity. So in other words, what makes your transaction, what makes your deal unique? What makes it spectacular? What makes it, what is that wow factor in that deal? Like for example, a little while ago, my partners and I bought a 178 unit uh, value add uh, deal in Memphis, Tennessee, yeah. and it's a heavy lift. It's a reno. We paid, you know, at 20 something thousand per door, which is very cheap. But more importantly, I know that there's only a certain amount of buildings in town still standing that are salvageable to, to that level. You know what I mean? So right away, I know that my unique exclusivity is the market is in a pinch for rentals, especially affordable rentals. Yeah. The economics to build new rentals are so lopsided that you, it's becoming increasingly difficult to do it without government you know, support or programs. So just to straight up do something to create an affordable option for people is that much harder. So right there for me, I knew that was my exclusivity. Now for, for someone else, it might be, hey, we're buying this building at X dollars. You know, it's within three minutes of the brand new library that's going up or it's five minutes within, like what are those factors that make your deal that wow for you, right? Or is it a third of replacement yeah. cost? Like what are those things? So, that, so for me, that's the first thing because when I call somebody, that's the first thing that comes out of my mouth. And I'll say something like, hey, I know we talked about when I come across something, you wanted me to give you a call. Here's what I've come across. Boom, boom, boom. So what is the exclusivity about, about it? So that's the E. The so A. Before you go, you're telling, sure. you're telling a story, right? Yeah, 100%. You're telling a story before you just throw numbers at people, right? Because that's yeah. people respond to stories rather than, you know, not everyone's an accountant. 
No, and thank God. Uh, some of my best friends are in in that profession so if they watch this they'll laugh but um no look look the numbers have to make sense but the story has to be relatable people need to understand why they should care in the context of what they already understand so that that is really important now so that's the e the a is the abundance so in other words you don't want to come across as somebody who needs somebody's investment ever because you know number one people don't want to investors don't want to feel the pressure of you needing them to participate no nope. people want to do it on their own accord so abundance stands for the fact that when you talk to your investor you can say something along the lines of look i know we talked about when i come across something i should give you a call you know if this is of interest to you uh, you know let me know um, I, I also want to share with you that there's another X amount of people that I need to share this opportunity with. So the more people you have in your pipeline and your network that are that have expressed it, and don't BS, don't fudge. If you're talking to three people, you're talking to three people. If you're talking to 300 people, you're talking to 300 people. It is what it is, yep. right? But at least demonstrate that you have an abundance of interest in what you do. And if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I don't have an abundance of interest, well, then you need to go dig your well. You need to go talk to people. Even if you don't have a deal, talk to people about the concept of what you're working on. And I know that's what you've done so well, even with your branding, a Canadian investing in the U.S. It's a concept. You know, so anybody who's intrigued by that concept kind of shows up and says, hey, what does that mean? You know what I do. Right. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. So again, exclusivity, abundance, and then S is scarcity. So in real estate, there's only so much of it. You know, your deal needs half a million dollars, five million dollars, whatever your dollar amount is, it's scarce. It's finite. It's scarce. Here's what I need. Here's who I'm talking to. Here's what's probably going to happen. You know, and you're establishing the fact that it is a limited opportunity. And that's really important because investors need to know what timelines they have to get themselves in order, whether it's from a liquidity standpoint, whether it's a priority for them. You don't want to have this lingering maybe because you don't want to waste your time and you don't want to annoy them. Right. So scarcity. And then the why in the easy system is your allocation. So you would say something along the lines of, you know, if the due diligence checked out on this deal for you, what type of allocation would you potentially be looking at? So you've established exclusivity, the fact that you have lots of people to talk to, the limited supply, and if they are interested and the due diligence checked out, because again, they've got to do their due diligence. You got to make sure lawyers are comfortable. You got to make sure everything works, follow the rules, the regulations, all the things that are required, do all that, but at least they can give you a soft commit of if it checked all the boxes, what that would look like for them. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, practically that's, I mean, we ha- I have an entire master course with tons of modules on this stuff, but, but just practically that one tip will save you dozens of hours of banging your head on the wall <laughs> and trying to figure out how to fund a deal. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you a quick story, Glenn. I had a deal. This came out of necessity for me. I had a deal once I was buying in uh, 2010, 2011, I was buying in Winnipeg in Canada, yep. uh, Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba. And we were buying duplexes, triplexes for literally uh, 50 to 60,000 a door. It was insane. And the yep. rents were comparable to Calgary. And, you know, like they were very good rents. So we would meter the units and things were great. Um, I had three buildings, three buildings, three, three uh, duplexes closing in one month. And the investor called me a few days before the closing 
and told me they couldn't write the equity check on all three of these units. And this was, I was in my, I was still in my early 20s, no, mid 20s at the time. And I just get off the phone and the world just stopped. <laughs> just like, okay, what do I do? So I went back to my network. I set up a meeting with one fellow, came into my office. Uh, we're still friends to this day. It's funny. And we're sitting in my office. And what I didn't tell you yet, Glenn, is that my lawyer's office was down the hall from my office. So my closing lawyer was down the hall. So I'm meeting with this potential investor and the lawyer comes down the hallway and you can hear him at the reception. Where's Mars? Where is he? And I'm just like, oh man. Oh, no. <laughs> so he, comes, he comes into the meeting as the receptionist tells him I'm in a meeting. He drops the stacks on the table and says, you know what these are? I'm like, hi, Mr. So-and-so. He goes, do you know what those are? He goes, I go, yeah. He goes, so where are my instructions? Where, where are the deposits, right? And I look at him and I look at the investor. I go, well, I'm actually just working on that. Can I come see you after? <laughs> he goes, okay. He walks out. I look at the investor. I look at the files. I look at the investor. I go, so what do you think? And he just starts laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so just looking at but, that. But, but, but sorry, just to, just, to yeah, preface yeah, no, the no. just to preface the conversation, I had already told the investor what had happened. So this wasn't a shock to him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I was, that's another thing I teach is always be, be straight up, yeah. tell people what you're doing. Don't feel like you're going to get leveraged. I mean, in some cases, maybe you will, people take advantage of it, but 99% of the time, just, just, you know, even if you tell, if you show people that what it is, they'll work with you on it. And uh, when I did that with that investor, he laughed, he funded all three of the deals and, and we moved on. But I, I'm not saying to do that, which is why I ended up creating the easy system because I never wanted to be in that position again. Yeah, and you, I was just going to compare this to the easy system. And like the conversation is going to be a little more difficult when you put yourself in a pinch. Because uh, yeah. like, I think it was the A was the one where uh, you were talking about where you have to have it so that it's, um, you're not. You have abundance. Yeah. Abundance. And it's a, an abundance thing. And you may, maybe not abundance. One of the other ones anyway. I didn't write down what they all were. But um there was a spot where you, you, you needed it to be not desperate, right? Um, yeah. And you, you may come off desperate in, when you get into those situations. So yeah. that, that sounds like a difficult, it, any tips to not come off as desperate in, if you're in that exact same situation, because that can easily come off as desperation. Yeah, 100%. I mean, part of, part of the masterminds and master course that yeah. I have is it, it's all leading up to putting yourself in the best possible position proactively so that on an ongoing basis, you always have an excess of people that are saying, Hey, I'm looking for X. Can I work with you? I mean, Glenn, every day on my phone, I get texts, inquiries. People are like, Hey, I want to invest. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I don't have options for everybody because of various different reasons, but and I want to help and I want to be as involved as, as I can, but that is a much better problem to have than thinking that all that matters is that you find a deal and then the money is going to show up. That's not how it works. Like having a great deal is incredibly important, but just because you have a great deal doesn't mean anyone's going to care. Oh yeah. The, the, um, how does that phrase go? The find the deal and the money will show up. But, yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. Um, it could, if you, laid the groundwork right if you've done your homework you've created the relationships you've fostered mm -hmm. the relationships um then it, it could be something that you could raise money really quick a lot of times when i hear those stories where people are like oh yeah i found this deal and boom i funded it like that and you're like 
you think there's more to the story that they haven't shared. Right. I think that's a very difficult thing unless you have, but still, you'd have to have somebody in your pocket. If you had no connections and doing that from day one with that, that's going to be so difficult. Of course. And then the other problem with only relying on one investor or one funding source is that eventually, if that becomes clear to the other party that they have a disproportionate amount of control over the transaction or your ability to do transactions, eventually those economics aren't going to work for you. And that's another very big problem is that, you know, I, I, I have this call it debate with uh, frontline operational people or deal sourcing people quite often where they think what they're doing is akin to splitting of the atom, right? Where, you know, their world is the only thing that matters. But this capital markets world is a multi-billion trillion dollar space for a reason, because at the end of the day, you can't do this without this and, and vice versa. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, they have to coexist. And most people, real estate people, they take courses, they spend time, they really zero in on this side of the equation. And they think that things are just going to like a vacuum money is just going to fly into it. And that's not how it works. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I like it. Um, lessons, anything, any tips, lessons, things that <laughs> other stuff that hasn't gone to plan things you fixed, any, any tips? Well, I think, I think one of the biggest um, lessons for anybody on the capital raising side, once you go to raise capital is, you know, like anything else in life, whether it's with, with your spouse or friends or whatever, under promise and over deliver. Uh, don't, you know, there's some people that when they're raising money, I call them rookie mistakes. They'll, they'll promise the world to their investor and under the best set of circumstances, They'll max, they'll perfect, they'll season that performa to perfection. You know, like literally the rents in the market are, let's just say they're $900, but in five years, they'll be a thousand. Okay, great. We're going to start at a thousand today because we're going to be that much better. You know, the uh, uh, effective gross income as a percentage of your revenue, you know, for your asset class is 55%, but no, for us, it'll be 65 because we're going to run our business that much more efficiently than everyone else. Like the, you, you can't defy gravity. Uh, for any extended period of time, right? It's kind of like Wiley Coyote when you run off the cliff and eventually, you know, there's, there's nothing there. And I find that a lot of investors, because they're so eager to raise money, they think that they have to put their absolute best foot forward and set up, set up impossible scenarios to be able to say that they're going to be able to, re to return whatever type of return just to make people go, yeah, I want to do that. Well, aside from potential legal implications, from making those types of representations, you're also setting yourself up for a really crappy scenario because, you know, even if your deal performs, let's just say 8%, 12%, 8, 14, whatever, 18%, whatever, whatever performs, yeah. whatever performs, if you promise somebody more than that, you now have to explain yourself. Whereas if you know your deal can perform at, let's just say a 2X multiple over five years where you double their equity, you know you can do that, but you think, but you say that your target is let's just say 10 or 12% per year and you come in at 16 or 18%, well, then you look like a genius. Yep. And, and, and those are, those are really important distinctions. Now I can tell you that most investors are not going to walk from your deal within reason. If your returns are posted at X versus Y, if it's that extra two or like if they're, if they're comparing your deal to another deal, like they're comparing rate shopping for mortgages, that's probably not the right investor because they're not, they haven't actually looked at the deal. They haven't looked at the risks. They have, they're, this isn't, they're not buying a mortgage. This is an investment. There's a different 
value prop here. Yeah. Look, your your business. I mean, again, you have you have the Canadian investing in the U.S. and I mean that is a unique selling proposition. It's a concept. You get people's attention, and that's important because it gives you time to build a relationship over an extended period of time, and and that's ultimately where investing comes from. It comes from trust. It comes from familiarity, and it comes from a feeling of continuity. They feel like when they write you a check, whether it's fifty thousand dollars or five million dollars, whatever it is, they feel like you're going to be there. And that's that's really important for an investor. So if I was to impart one other piece of information is if if you're looking at raising money, even if it's in 12 months or 24 months, get in the habit of being present in front of the people that you want to work with, whether it's a newsletter, an active website, a blog, a podcast, videos, be active and put good content out there. And, you know, I've seen your videos. It's not like you're out there trying to sell yourself and sell your services and things like that. Like, I mean, indirectly, we're all doing it by the very nature of what we're talking about. But, you know, you're never going to hear me come on a podcast and hold a brochure and be like, okay, so here's the deal. And for a limited time, like, like most you, people you, turn it off. <laughs> right. Like, well, you don't need that stuff. This isn't, uh, you know, late night TV at three in the morning. This is, you know, this is the world today. So people want to be informed. People want to be educated. People want to work with people they can relate to. And, you know, that, that, that's why I say it. it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. This is not going to, you're not going to put your real estate investor hat on on a Monday and have a check on a Friday. Right. And, and that's the perspective you have to have. If, if you understand that, You'll treat people differently, you'll communicate differently, and you'll have a different outlook. And ultimately, that will compound on itself. What from before, when you're talking about like promising, what you're promising for uh, returns and trying to be underestimate and stuff, it, it's a lot easier to reuse the same investors and then to right. under deliver, and then mm. they just go find a different person to invest their money with. You're, you're better off to undershoot this or um, if you're using debt partners, um, mm. just my strategy is if things aren't going right, just eat it, pay the people mm. and don't ever tell them that there's a problem or anything and just eat mm. it so that, you know what, they will invest with you again. And you make sure it's perfect. It runs the plan. They get what they're promised. And that's the people who are going to invest again. So you're going to give them their money back and they're going to need something to do with it again. And if you've found proven yourself to be reliable and trustworthy and do what you said you're going to do, which is the biggest thing in the world, they're likely just going to give it right back to you to reinvest in something else and you can both grow together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're bang on. The other thing I was, I was thinking to myself too, is um, if, if I was to think of another tip that I think served me well is make sure you disclose the risks. So in other words, Oh yeah. Uh, with investors, sometimes, especially people that are closer to you, and, and all of this goes under the notion that you have to do things the right way. Hire the lawyers, hire the attorneys, hi, uh, do this right, because fundraising in most places is a regulated activity. So, you know, and I don't know if this podcast is going to be looked at in the U.S. or Canada or abroad, but almost, you know, sure as rain that there's rules around how you raise money. But beyond those rules, there's also a component of setting the right expectations. So, you know, I've seen people make comments where they'll say things that give people the impression that there's no way to lose money on something. There is always a way to lose money. 
there, there is always a way to lose money because if there wasn't, you know, you'd be investing in a treasury bill, which has its own ways of losing money. But that's a, you know, it's a different conversation. So setting expectations is important because if somebody says, you know, how do I lose my money? Your response should be, well, here are the risks in the projects, this, 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 and here's how we mitigate them. But these are still risks. And that sets a different precedence because if you do come across things that, you know, nobody expected COVID last year. And if you were sitting across the table from somebody and picking up a check to build a hotel, well, you know, <laughs> maybe you've pivoted, maybe you've built a condo now, maybe you've done something else, maybe you're sitting on the land, but that's a risk, right? So having those conversations with the investors is, is very important. And the more money you raise, the more sophisticated partners you're looking for. If you don't start with return of capital conversations rather than return on capital conversations, your meetings will be short-lived because they want to know how you've mitigated the risk first before you sell them on the upside because their upside is a function of how you've mitigated their risk first. Yep. If you do a syndication, those yeah. the documentation, is it the PPM? That it is, it's terrifying. They mm -hmm. lay out everything way you can lose your money on it and they lay out like everything that like could possibly lose your money most of them are so far-fetched but mm -hmm. you know if you think of that if that's your goal to get to that point and you start doing that on your single families or four plexes and as you work your way up you'll be you'll be set and you'll have the expectation set it's a good practice to be in just like you're saying um anyway going on i'm just basically repeating you but it is it's a lot of those if you do the big ones it is like they lay it out for you it's um it's the small ones and people often are the ones who skip on that stuff um, and yeah. it could be the way they do their investor presentations too that they leave it out and it's only in the paperwork yeah i mean look it, it makes you more credible when you when you disclose potential risks and you walk people through them and you let them know how you've mitigated them the other thing that i guess i'll piggyback on this is making sure you you never i would never work with an investor of any sort if the money they wanted to allocate to me was their last dollar um, I, I'm not interested in that, whether it's, whether they're accredited, sophisticated, whatever it is, don't care. If you're telling me that this hundred thousand dollars is the money that you need for your kid's education, for whatever it is. And in your mind, this is just a short-term investment. I, I, I am not interested. I don't want that pressure. I don't want that burden. It, it's, it's, for, it's a philosophy that I implore people to you know, really take to heart because, you know, it, th those people will call you on a daily, weekly, monthly, what, and communicate with your investors by all means. But if somebody's so high strong on that last 50 or hundred grand or whatever it is, I, I would advise people to avoid that. Yeah. And that's a, the danger that you get a lot of it going into the U S because mm -hmm. a lot of people have a line of credit with, they're 30 or 40 grand and that's all they have to invest and they're going to put the whole thing on the table. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, if people want to do that, um, they're welcome to do with their money as they please, but it won't be with me. Um, you know, if they want to, if they, it's interesting because you can go buy a brand new truck for 75 grand and pay that thing off for the next five years. And you know, you're going to lose money on that. But if they give you that 75 grand and they lose money with you and they need it, like it's, it's, I don't want that burden. How do you, how do you approach that sort of subject? Do you ask them how much money they have and then what percentage this is of the deal uh, that you're using in the deal? Or do you more just ask like, 
is this your last dollar? Like, how which way would you approach that? Well, I mean, for starters, we only, we, any of the syndications or any of the larger offerings we've done, we've only worked with accredited investors. Yeah. And that's that, that, that in of itself is a pretty large barrier. But also when you, when you have a conversation with the individual, you figure out how liquid they are, how much, you know, how, like I know the people that I'm working with really well. And for some of them, they wouldn't remember that they gave me 50 grand or a hundred grand for a deal because it, it's so insignificant to them. Uh, you have to remind them to actually download their paperwork for tax time sometimes. So there's, there's that kind of individual. Yep. And then there's some people that are accredited on paper, but they spend more than they make. And that 50 grand is a lot to them. So just because they're accredited, you know, you get it, you spend time with people, you talk to them, you figure it out. Um, there, there's syndicators out there that work with everybody. They have low minimums. There's additional thresholds and requirements that you have to work with. Um, yep. I haven't gone down the path with, with that at, at this point, you know, most I've done it in the past, but most recently no. Yep. And uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's a function of really getting to know who your investors are. Makes a lot of sense. Larson, people wanted to track you down. Uh, where would they find you? Sure. Yeah, the best way to get a hold of me is on the website that we have, marsandroves.com. Hopefully, we can spell that in your show notes. So it's yeah. Uh, Send it's, me an email. I'll throw it all in the show notes. I'll give <laughs> okay. all the links. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I've got an Instagram, realmarsandroves.com, uh, not .com, but at realmarsandroves. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they can. You know, they can. They can find us online if they type my name. I'm sure. I'm sure they can find it. And um, yeah, I mean, we we specialize in. Uh, you know, I, I think the thing that I'm most excited about is. I think I was telling you, I put together a master course for how to raise capital for real estate. Yep. And that was a result of me doing a mastermind on how to raise capital. I thought I could cover everything in a day and I couldn't. And, you know, we put the course together and that's gone over really well. So, yeah, there's, you know, if you're, an, if you're a real estate investor, entrepreneur, and you want to learn more, uh, the website's got tons of info on that. Cool. And what's the course look like? Is it just like a lot of tutorials? Like how long does it take you to get through it? Like what is so it? yeah, the, the, it, it's a, you have lifetime access to it because the modules, there's about two and a half hours of videos of me speaking on, there's literally, I don't know if it's a hundred videos, but they're two, three minute segment videos uh, <clears throat> okay. of talking about different components. Uh, there's assignments, there's Q and A, there's questions, there's sample scripts, templates, you know, I've, I've secured a lot of money over the years and I've put it together sort of in a format where somebody can take, take the, uh, the starting point and figure out, take inventory of where they're at, how to position themselves and how to pull that conversation through and actually eventually create a system and a continuity program with your investors. So to me, it's kind of like breathing, but when I wrote it, and that's why I thought I could originally do it in a one day mastermind, but I, but I couldn't. And, you know, we ended up creating 10 different modules and it, uh, you know, it'll probably take somebody 18 to 20 hours to work through the materials. But okay. once you work through it, you'll want to reference it because it's a skill set. It's not just, it's like you, you look at a deal. Do you know how to look at all deals? Well, no, that's, you know, the more deals you look at the better. Right. And the big thing is most people, what they do is when they pitch the first investors they pitch and they, they blow and they blow up those chances of getting investment are typically the people that were most likely to write them a check anyway. Yeah. So they practice on the people that were most likely to invest, but because they fumble through things, they, all these opportunities slip by them. Right. So. Yeah. And, no, I totally agree. Even myself, even if I get a good book, I like the best books I reread every year. Yeah. There's, they have so much in them, right? Like 
one pass, sure, you get some concepts, but you don't really know that book, right? No. One, right? So no, I pick, up, I pick up books. I, I like a book I've been reading and rereading is called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. It's, it's a really good book. It's about Stoicism and Marcus Aurelius, one of the last great emperors in, in Rome, and it talks about his philosophy. And I've reread that book half a dozen times, and every time I read it, I'm like, I didn't remember that part. So, yeah, you're right. You you just you know you pick up different things every time. Exactly. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Mars, and I really appreciate your time. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of value you left for everyone to, who's listening. Yeah. No. Happy. Happy to do it. I love what you're doing. Obviously, I'm a Canadian investing in the U.S. as well, so obviously heavily biased and uh you know i like i like the concept and uh, yeah really appreciate the opportunity awesome